the Stray Theater, Radio Boise's program for all things literary, performative, and dramatic, going on right here in the Treasure Valley. Today on Stray Theater, we feature another episode of Story Story Night, where this month's host, Jody Eichelberger, talks to reporter Zach Kyle, who originally reported on the story Jump, and told by storyteller Talon Owens from the November 29th production of Story Story Night. Enjoy. Welcome to Story Story Night on Stray Theater. I'm your host and artistic director of Story Story Night, Jody Eichelberger. Today we don't go back too far into the vaults of our podcast, only a couple of months to our season opener, Jump, recorded live on November 29th, 2016. Today we're not going to hear just from the storyteller, but also from the reporter who broke the story in the Idaho Statesman. Before we hear Talon Owens tell his story in his own voice, I'm here with reporter Zach Kyle to find out how he came to write about Talon and how it was different than other reporting he has done. Stop the presses, it's story time. Thank you, Zach Kyle, for coming in and talking to us at Story Story Night. You are a reporter at Idaho Statesman, but how do you describe your position at Idaho Statesman? Well, I'm typically a business reporter, so I'm covering things like uh, ups and downs in the economy and employment, technology, agriculture. Uh, but this was obviously a very different kind of story. Yeah, and how did this story then, being a business reporter, how did this story come to you? I was working on a story about um, kind of a self-help guru named Rocky Detweiler. And as part of my reporting to that, I called a woman who runs a local uh, nonprofit that deals with troubled youth, uh, some of which have dealt with suicidal thoughts. Uh, her, her name is Tanya Owens. She mentioned to me that her own son had dealt with some, some struggles of his own uh, and kind of briefly touched on that, but that wasn't really what that story was about, and I was in a hurry, and, and so I um, thanked her, and, and, and it took thinking about it, and this, this thing that she'd mentioned about her son in this parking garage, and it struck me, so I called her back, and I said, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So she t- told me just the, the skeleton of Talon's story and how there was another person involved. And I was blown away, and I, and I asked if, if he might be willing to share that, even without putting his name to it, but whether he'd be willing to uh, tell the story. And she said that, that she talked to it. But that was also in May, which was just a month after his incident had happened, so it was still very fresh and very raw. This is May of 2016. May of 2016. So I said, tell you what, uh, let's be in touch, and, and maybe we can return to this. And we kept in touch, and over the coming months, he did much better, first of all, and he was feeling better about things and, and being successful in his own life, but was also still willing to share. So months later, we took the subject back up, and, and, and I had her approach talent on my behalf. A powerful moment that our radio audience can't see, but here in the story, is talent actually started by asking the audience, by a show of hands, how many of them had been personally affected by suicide. It was a chilling moment to watch this sea of hands just slowly lifting up in the blue glow of the auditorium there at Jump.
I want to start out by asking a question. Now, I can't really see many of you guys, but I'm, I'm just going to like tell by like, you know. Uh, how many people's lives in here has been affected by suicide? Yeah, a lot. Idaho is ranked number four in teen suicides. And today I'm going to tell you about mine. So about two weeks, about two weeks before I was planning on uh, committing suicide, I was, I was with my older sister in a car, well, in her car, uh, coming back from Utah, and I was just talking to her about all of these, like, these dreams I've been having in, like, death and all of these, like, wild things. And uh, I guess the continual, like, talking about suicide is kind of what led me up to eventually planning and writing the note. So, there I was, April 6th, at about 11.30 at night, set my phone down with the note to my mom, dad, other family members, my older sister, close friends, and I snuck out my window. It's one story, so it wasn't that hard. Uh, and I made my way down from Owyhee Street. Uh, from there, I went to Rose Street, I think it's Rose Hill Street, and then turned right there, went to uh, Vista, not Vista, I think it was Vista, uh, and then turned left, went all the way down Capitol until I, uh, I hit that familiar place in my dreams where I knew I was going to jump. And that was... Ironically, the Ninth and Front Street building, garage building behind me. The cops were already there, but not for me. They were there for some other reason. At 11.30 at night, I don't know why, but it, I wasn't too worried about it because they weren't going to stop me from doing what I initially planned to do. So I took the elevator up to the eighth floor of the garage buildings, at the front of the Ninth Street, and I got up on the ledge. And while I kind of sat there, looking down, observing everything around me, the city, the police sirens, what, what they were looking at, who they were looking for, the CenturyLink Arena building, the Zions Bank lights, Table Rock, everything. Because I knew that I wanted to take in everything before I actually left. I wanted to leave without regrets. So I get down from the ledge and think for a second before I'm, I get back up on the ledge and uh, do it. And I, I look off the ledge to see this girl, this mysterious girl just walking on the third floor. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like 11.45 at night. What is she doing here? But, again, I didn't let it bother me. So I got back up on the ledge. I was looking down. I look back up, take everything back in, and look back down to see her falling, and then hit the ground. So I froze. And that's where I had to put myself in her position. 
not literally because I'd be dead, but I know, dark humor. But, <laughs> but metaphorically speaking, like I had to put myself in her position and think, what the hell am I doing up here? If I were her, I'd be seriously injured <laughs> or dead. So, she made me feel that extreme regret <laughs> without even leaving the building. In that moment of uh, being frozen, a uh, patrol officer came up to the eighth floor and was looking at me. And I saw the lights behind me, but I was still dead, frozen on just watching her body like lie motionless and watching the police rush to the scene to get her on a stretcher and make sure that she's all right. And he, st he speaks to me and he's like, you should get down from there. You could get hurt. And I say, yeah, I know. And I step back from the ledge and I break down hysterically crying, knowing that what I was about to do was hands down the most regrettable thing I would have done in my life, because it would have been the end of my life. We took the elevator back down, <clears throat> and I, s I observed the scene that they were rushing her onto the am into the ambulance. I was sitting on the curb. The officers were making calls to my parents because they had no clue that I was there. They thought I was still back at the house sleeping. So when my mom got the call, first she was in denial. She's like, no. Just thinking it was some sort of prank call. It's like, no, my son's in his room sleeping. Like, it's 12 o'clock at night, what are you talking about? And she checks the room and I'm gone. Windows cracked. My older sister goes into my room to find the, the note. It's on the stool next to my bed. And then they come down to the garage building. And there I am, sitting on the curb, crying. My mom goes down, sits next to me, cries on my shoulder, because there's not really much to say after you hear your son was about to jump off of an eight-story building. We get back to my house, we have a good hour and a half conversation about getting me into Inner Mountain. I really didn't want to because the things I've heard about Inner Mountain is for the uh, crazy people, essentially. And as far as I was concerned, I was not crazy, you know, being on top of an eight-story building. So. They urged me into going to Inner Mountain where I stayed for 10 days. I lost track of time there because they didn't have clocks there, but it was very routine there. But I learned a lot. I learned that life is a valuable thing, not something that you can take for granted. And you, you never really know like what you're missing or who you're missing until they're actually gone. I get out of Inner Mountain, and I get back to school, and first thing people ask me is, where have you been? Where have you been, Talon? 
And I say, you know, just on vacation, I'm not going to tell them I was on the inner mountain. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of the story I stuck to for a while until I was open to tell my story to, uh, you know, other people. But one of my favorite quotes from the movie Kung Fu Panda is uh, <laughs> Yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today's a gift. I guess that's why they call it the present. <laughs> so <laughs> you gotta take it every day <laughs> as if it's like not given to you, like it's a gift. You never realize the impact that you're making on people's lives every day. Just by walking around, or if you say hi to someone in the hallway, not knowing that that person might have actually gone home to commit suicide. So many teens struggle with suicide nowadays, especially in Idaho, seeing how we're fourth ranked. So that's why I decided to share my story with the Idaho Statesman and become a teen advocate well, an advocate for uh, teen suicide prevention. They shared my story and blew up all over Facebook, uh, which it was, I wasn't expecting much of it, much to come from it, but here we are now, speaking in front of, I don't know, 300 people I can't see. <sighs> <Ow>! <laughs> My mom, she founded a uh, nonprofit organization, Heart Inspired, off of a uh, family friend's uh, teen suicide. And I guess she's told people that it's, it's kind of hard to uh, personally advocate for teen suicide when she's had trouble with teen suicide in her family, my older sister and me. So I feel like it's easier for teens nowadays to relate, be able to relate to another teen that's been through what they've been through today because there's so many different stories and everyone, I'm sure everyone, every teen in this room has a story and I hope that they're willing to share someday openly as I am right now. But. And I was standing up on that eighth-story building, and I watched her fall and lay motionless. That's when I realized that we don't jump to fall. We should jump to rise and triumph over like what what we're like, what we're doing. Like because we have, I don't know, how many days are there in a year, and multiply that by a hundred. <laughs> that many days in your life to do something amazing and impact on so many people's lives. Jump for joy. Jump to rise. I'm done. You're listening to Story Story Night's Jump. 
on Radio Boise. This is Stray Theater. We'll be right back. Programming for Radio Boise comes from listeners like you and Rediscovered Books, a new and used bookstore located at 180 North 8th Street in downtown Boise. Rediscovered Books is proud to be locally owned. Their mission is to share their knowledge and passion for books and to help nurture Boise's growing literary community. You can learn more at rdbooks.org. Rediscovered Books, where books and people meet. Welcome back to Stray Theater. This is Jody Eichelberger from Story Story Night talking with Zach Kyle about a story he wrote in the Idaho Statesman covering an amazing night which prevented Talon Owens from jumping off a parking garage and led to his first public speech as an advocate for teen suicide prevention at our season opener, Jump. One of the powerful moments at the night at Story Story Night was actually after the show, Tanya Owens, who you mentioned, uh, Talon's mom, brought over another woman who I, to introduce her to me, and it turned out she was the sister of the other individual that was there at the parking garage that night. The two families connected there at Story Story Night. Did you have any contact with the other person or their family when you were investigating? <clears throat> I didn't, and, and this is another one of those kind of emotional roller coaster moments in reporting this. I thought that the woman had died. Talon thought she had died. Oh, I didn't know that. And so uh, I had an aha moment. Um, I gathered information on the incident by um, submitting a public records request to the police department. Yeah. And they gave me reports, and there were some things redacted, which is, is normal, but some of the things were redacted, like the woman's name, um, and they said it was because they were protecting her, her medical information, her, mm-hmm. her status and things. Mm-hmm. And it took me making several calls and emails back and forth with the police department to determine that she has those rights to privacy because she's still alive. Oh. And that was a shock to me. Um, you know, Talon had thought he'd witnessed a suicide. I thought I was getting records on a suicide, and lo and behold, this woman's alive. Were you the one that revealed that to Talon? I was. And that was it was a cool moment because... He'd been sharing uh, these very personal things with me, and here I had a chance to share something with him about his story and fill in some of the pieces for him. Mm. What was his reaction? Uh, well, he, w- he was pleased. He was happy. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's a lot to order in, in one's mind that he witnessed a stranger jump off of a building, uh, which is a pretty traumatic thing for him. And, and I think to hear that she was alive is was reassuring. Uh, we still don't know. I know nothing about who she is or what condition she's in. If she had wanted to, uh, I, ideally, I would have, for the story, not for her, but for the story, I would have interviewed her and explained what why she was at the building that night, yeah. at the parking garage. Right. And I would have told more of a two-sided story about how these two lives converged. But I don't know who she is, and even if I did, she would have had to be on board with that to mm-hmm. report it in that way. One of the striking things about Talon's story, as he's telling about the events that led up to the actual moment of standing there on the precipice, is how almost matter-of-fact it comes across, like how detached he seemed emotionally. And I think that's part of what maximized the authenticity of the story for me, in, in, in terms of not playing up the drama of it mm-hmm. or anything, just systematic. 
which I found really fascinating. I did too. And when I was his age, I had my moody days. Uh, I was somewhat articulate, but he's amazingly articulate. Um, that's something that I really admired about him. And I should mention that just because I'm a reporter, because it's my job, I had some red flags go up that this just the story seemed a little too good to be true. But I trusted him, and the way I assessed out you know, that the story was true is first I, I asked him to repeat it several times over different days, and the, the details always matched up. Huh. One of those times, though, he was very emotional. The other two times, he wasn't. And I don't know if that was just, you know, had to do with where he was at that day or what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other things I did to verify it is um, the police confirmed some details, like an officer did uh, interact with him that night on that rooftop. Um, it did call his mother. Um, so it's not that I didn't believe him, but I just took extra pains to to make sure that, you know, I wasn't getting taken on a ride. Yeah. Does that happen to you? Not to me, but it happens in journalism. Uh-huh. Um, but it happens with people who are seeking attention, and Talon never struck me as that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always thought his heart was in the right place. And I think his heart continues to be in the right place, even though he's, you know, attracted a lot of attention. He's talking in front of 500 people. So intuitively, I trusted him, and, and the facts uh, bared it out, too. Mm-hmm. And did you, was part of your investigation into the nonprofit that uh, his mom runs that actually is for suicide prevention? I think it's called Heart. Well, that was the other thing that seemed a little convenient. It's a very small nonprofit. It's not very active. She was involved with this self-help guy that I had written about before. Um, but she has even since said, uh, and I think I reported on this in my follow-up story, that um, she's taken a step back and um, that nonprofit isn't. It might do things in the future and it might collaborate with other groups in the future, but it's not doing much now. So uh, it's not a case of her trying to exploit her son's incredible story for the benefit of her group either. Yeah. I mean, she mentioned that when I first, because I contacted Talon through his mom, it seemed like the appropriate thing to do in dealing with a minor, you know, like, is this going to be okay? I and, did the same thing. Yeah. She had brought up that it is embarrassing to have had this project of suicide, which I guess was a friend of, mm-hmm. that's named after a friend of the family, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple of years ago or something that this happened, but that she has, you know, had this in her life and yet her family still has struggled so incredibly with suicide itself, um, which, like you said, becomes another ingredient in this story that just seems so tied in that coincidence just, you're like, how does coincidence exist? It makes you question, I guess, things like fate and, and God and I mean, because it's just like, how could that, how could this happen? Like you said, you know, two people on the same night, otherwise completely unconnected. It's, it's a coincidence, it's fate, it's, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know that Tanya feels like something divine happened that night. Uh, whatever it is, it's, it's a pretty incredible story. Uh, you had mentioned to me that, uh, maybe you've already covered this, but how this, this story was, is very different from other stories that you had to kind of um, do something different with this than you do on your normal day as a, as a journalist? So, well, it was, 
emotionally heavy, and I carried it around for five or six months. So, I mean, it's not like I'm any kind of great hero or reporter for doing this, but it was it was a lot. You know, I I write two or three or four or five stories a week, but I always had this on my mind. I was always working on records requests or trying to figure out how to write this, um, and it you know it wore on me a little bit just because it's heavy, uh, and because. Two, I was worried. I, part of me didn't want to cause anything bad to happen to talent, and part of me really didn't want uh, to be the cause of another suicide attempt. Because like I said, research shows media portrayals of suicide can spur copycats. Um, there are ways to minimize that risk, and we talked a lot about those things, but it's just, since I was carrying this around in my head for so long, it was another big thing to weigh on my shoulders. Have you in your life been personally affected by suicide? Um, only tangentially, but that's something as I, I talked with a lot of suicide prevention experts over the course of writing this story uh, and just talking with other people. I had, I had a coworker that I don't know very well approach me and, and say that you know, her own brother had committed suicide and she mm. was touched by my story. So people have kind of come out of the woodwork. So even though, knock on wood, my own life hasn't been affected, yet it seems like it will at some point. It's just all of us will have a story. Mm. And that's why I think it's important for media to cover these things, but, but do it responsibly. I, I'm careful not to give many opinions, but I'm going to give one on this, just based on my own experience. Uh, I was never suicidal as a teen, but I struggled. I think many teenagers struggle and the thing I want teenagers to know is that your world seems so small and insulated. And it's really hard to picture when you're 16 or 17 how dramatically your life will change in a few years. When you go to college, when you move out, when you get a job, when you do whatever's next, whatever it is. Um, and I think it's just hard to see that when you're, when you're in the middle of it and when you're you know, dealing with that, that little tight social bubble uh, that, that, that is your life, sun up to sundown when you're in high school or junior high. How is storytelling a part of journalism, or how is it different from journalism? The best journalism is done with storytelling. Hmm. It's putting actual faces and names and real-life experiences to the things that we report, the big trends, the big numbers, so... I have always taken great pleasure and pride in <clears throat> my work as a storyteller, and that's the reason why I got into journalism more than wanting to break the big story or the big scandal, is that uh, I've drawn to people and their stories and what makes them unique and their passions. Um, and I've since learned to report on all those serious things too, but when I do my job the best is when in cases like this, I find the real person who's affected. Jump for joy. Jump to rise. Thanks to Zach Kyle for telling us some of his process as a journalist and Talon Owens for sharing his story. And thank you for listening. Story Story Night is live on the last Tuesday of every month at Jump, where we tell true stories on a theme, live on stage, and without notes. 
Our next show at Jump is Tuesday, January 31st at 7 p.m. on the theme, Run. Story Story Night is brought to you with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. This project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari, and our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. Shout out to our marketing guru and co-founder, Jessica Holmes. You can support this storied program and get tickets to upcoming shows and look into becoming a storyteller yourself at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. I'm Jody Eichelberger, and this is Story Story Night on Stray Theater. Music is Little Lily Swing by Tritachion. You've been listening to Stray Theater. Thanks for tuning in.